And then I, I, then I had a, one of my few blackouts in my life was that Christmas. It was a friend's Christmas party, open bar. And like my husband found me passed out on the bathroom floor in the basement at like five in the morning. Like I, I had come home from the party and probably thrown up and um, he's like, what are you doing to yourself? Like, this is embarrassing now. Like how you're so, how, look how old you are and you're still doing this. Like you're, you're not in your twenties anymore. Um, and I just felt so mortified and like, that was really where I was like, okay, that's, that was sort of the, I knew things were getting out of control. And then after the holidays, I was like, okay, (laughs) like, I can't do this anymore. I've got to stop. Yeah. And that was kind of the rock bottom. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from tribe sober, whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious. You need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast. My name is Janet Goron. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last five years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. We created Tribe Sober because we believe it's really, really hard to change your drinking habits alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. Each week, we feature a community voice, just to give you a flavor of the awesomeness of our tribe. Here's a lady from one of our WhatsApp groups. Hi, everyone on the Sober Bus. I am from Belgium. Uh, my name is Annick. Uh, I am on day 34 now and I'm very happy to be on this journey. Um, since I've heard Janet's talk on William Porter's Alcohol Explained channel, beginning of September, something uh, has definitely changed in my mindset towards um, my relationship with alcohol. Um, I have been through many moderation stages in my life and um, uh, I've tried it all and um, now something has changed as I was saying before because um, on this journey I'm actually learning much more about uh, alcohol and um, every day I'm listening to one or two podcasts uh, from the tribe. And um, and I, in every podcast, there's something relating to my own story, and um, I want to learn more about the things I've heard in those podcasts. I'm also relieved that I'm not the only one uh, struggling um, with alcohol, uh, and uh, I feel so much more confident this time also because I feel I'm part of a group of a tribe. Um, 
I know uh, that uh, it's difficult to ditch to drink, but um, even if I have ups and downs, I have the feeling that this time I'm on a much more positive uh, trip and I'm, um, <clears throat> I'm prepared in my schedule, in my daily schedule, to face the cravings. I just signed up for a gym, a new gym, where there's lots of yoga. I can also swim there. I can go with my grandkids and have lots of fun. So, um, yes, it's it's definitely a different approach this time. And uh, I wanted to thank Janet and her team for that. And um, good luck to all of you who are on the same journey as I am. Bye. One of the many joys of Tribe Sober is that we all understand each other. We all get each other. We've been through the same struggle and whether we've come out of the other side and we're busy thriving or whether we're in the midst of it and we're still doing the work, we always support and encourage each other. My guest this week is from Canada. Sarah Kate is the creator of goodcleanfun.com. Currently, we have the grand total of just four Canadian members in our tribe, and we'd love to welcome some more. Sarah Kate agrees with me that we need to get smart. We need to see through the constant pressure from big alcohol to consume their products. The wine industry has particularly targeted women, trying to convince us that mommy needs wine, etc., etc. Well, here is one mommy that's fighting right back. I began by asking Sarah Kate to introduce herself. Good morning, and I guess it's good afternoon for you. Um, I am located in Toronto, Canada, and uh, I guess you could say that. Um, uh, so I'm, you know, Canadian at heart, but a global, global-minded. Um, I am a mom of two and a former marketer, former communications PR person, um, and, uh, long distance runner, love to read British murder mysteries. Um, and, uh, now that I'm uh, in this sober world, it's, it's great. Cause I'm, you know, I can remember what I'm reading and remember all the things I'm, <laughs> the books I'm choosing. Absolutely. Yes. I remember that, uh, picking up my book in the evening and I think, have I read this bit? <laughs> Crazy, yes. <laughs> Same with movies as well. I used to watch a movie again and I think, I'm sure I've seen this. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about um, the drinking, shall we, Sarah Kate? Um, how old were you when you started drinking? So interestingly enough, a lot of people here in Canada, like they start drinking in high school. And so between the ages of like 14 and 18 and I would say like for the first couple years of high school, I didn't really drink that much. My parents were fairly strict, like not, I wasn't allowed out to parties all the time. Like they were very like uh, eagle eyed, like on what I was doing. Um, the first time I remember really drinking was I went to, uh, when I was 18, like my last year of high school, I went to somebody's backyard and they gave me a mug with vodka. I'm oh, sorry, white rum in it and said, drink this. And of course, I didn't like the taste, but I drank the mug anyway, and had probably borderline alcohol poisoning. And one of the few times in my life I've ever blacked out. At the time, I didn't know it was called blacking out. Um, but I can count on one hand the number of times I blacked out from drinking. 
um, unfortunately, because then you remember everything. But um, <laughs> um, that was that was you know when I was eighteen, and then I went away to university the following fall, and within the first week of university, almost had to get my stomach pumped because it was this idea of uh, frosh week. You add this thing called alcohol, which is like ninety proof, like un un you know flavored a straight alcohol spirit um, into Kool Aid. And you pour the whole, and you you make the uh, people would mix it into a big like recycling bin type thing, like a big garbage container, uh, and everybody just takes their frosh mugs and dips it into this this drink and drinks it right. And uh, you know, you're I'm coming into university, and there's you know older students in my dorm who are like, let's drink, let's drink, right? And that night, I remember everything. I remember vomiting in the bathroom. I remember like practically having to go to the hospital, and. After that, I don't think I, I didn't over drink that much for probably that first year of university because of that, um, was very, you know, just social drinker, went out to pubs, had some beers, didn't like the taste of beer. I actually hated the taste of beer. And I think that's sort of like what led me into the the next, um, the next part, which is like, okay, I've I've set the foundation for drinking. (laughs) Right. So then you got into your twenties and got the career thing going, um, were you drinking yeah. a lot then, or yeah? So yeah. I wasn't sure if you want to keep me go keep going on the story because I kind of I segment my story into like three or four segments. So that's the first kind of like I wasn't a heavy drinker in high school, university to to that much. But one thing okay. that had happened in university was that the woman who lived in the dorm next to me introduced me to uh, I, I saw her one night drinking wine out of a a cup uh, like a tumbler with a straw. And I had never been exposed to wine. My parents didn't drink at all. And I was like, how cool she's drinking wine. It's so adult. And so as I left university, I was like, I'm a wine drinker. You know, I'm an adult now I'm sophisticated. And, um, that's when the feelings like really started to surface of like, it was never enough. Like it was never enough to go to a party and have a couple of drinks. I wanted to keep going. I wanted to like, it was three, like, you know, my friends and I would all over drink. We were in our twenties. We're out partying. We're out having a good time. I would go, the difference is they would go home and be able to go to bed, but I would want to keep going and have another drink when I got home or go to another bar. It was very hard for me to turn the tap off once I got started. And usually it was wine, 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 a dinner, wine, you know, and then we'd go to a club and I would just have, you know, vodka tonics or whatever it was, pound them back. Um, but I just chalked that up to like, well, I'm in my 20s. I'm in my 20s. I'm enjoying life. Like I have disposable income now. I can have have some fun. And, um, you know, I do remember my husband is, um, and I have been together since I was 22. So I'm now 44. <laughs> so we, we started dating right out of university. And uh, his group of friends were not drinkers at all. Like they would be able to go to a restaurant for dinner. And, you know, at the beginning when we first started dating, we'd all go out for dinner and I would be really the only one ordering more than one drink. And he would be so embarrassed. Like, why did you have three glasses of wine? Did you need that? But this is, I'm talking in, this is 1999 when there were no such things as eight ounce glasses of wine. Like they, they didn't exist here. Now they're everywhere. That kind of like, do you want a five ounce or an eight ounce or a six ounce or an eight ounce? Like you got a four and a half ounce glass of wine in a, in a crummy little wine glass at some of these restaurants. Right. So um, that's not an excuse, but like, I remember just, these are some of the moments that are kind of highlighted in my story of like, now I look back, I'm like, yeah, that's pretty, that's, that is pretty embarrassing that nobody else was drinking. And I was, but I couldn't see it. 
we'd go out to clubs and people would drink, but you're dancing. Nobody's paying attention to how much people are drinking. I'm sure that I acted like a fool. You know, it's 20 years ago, so I'm, or, you know, a little bit less, but I'm forgetting uh, my behavior. Uh, there, there were a couple of, event, of events in my 20s that definitely were like, wow. I feel like I need to tell the story because I've, I've mentioned it a few other times on other podcasts. But for my 30th birthday, I had planned on bringing everyone together, friends, family, co-workers, everything, to this Brazilian restaurant that I was um, friendly with the owner. And he had given me the space for the evening to have a bit of a dinner and like a, a party afterwards, drinks and such. And uh, I drank probably drank, pre-drank before getting in the car to go to the restaurant, uh, drank at the restaurant heavily with dinner. My sister showed up with her friends. And at the time, she was more of a cannabis smoker. She's not anymore. But at the time, she was younger than me. So she came with some, her friends, her and her friends came with some weed, and they were smoking weed out back of the restaurant. And I went out and I want some too. It's my party. I can do what I want. You know, had a drag and completely like was so sick, like was so sick. I went down to the bathroom and threw up for like 10 minutes because I'd been drinking and then smoking weed. Uh, but I was like, it's my, I can't, like, I'm not ruining my birthday. I went, threw up, went right back to the bar upstairs and, you know, didn't want anybody to know I was throwing up. Went back to the bar and had a, you know, I remember saying to somebody at the bar, it's my party. I can drink as much as I want to. And having like a triple, like Kaiparenia or something like that. That is one of the nights where I'm like, I don't, I know we got home somehow. My husband was there and he was completely mortified at my behavior you know, cause he had to drive, he had to stay sober and drive me home after. And, uh, so, right. And so soon after that, we started, you know, starting a fam. we started having a family. So the kind of third chunk in the story is like the mommy wine culture is like mommy juice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I had, I had one child. It wasn't even like, you know, you quit drinking during pregnancy and there was no, like during my, my maternity leave with her, I didn't, I don't remember hanging onto wine as as a crutch as much as I did with my second. It wasn't until my second came along that I, you know, I got home from the hospital and my I remember clearly my husband had put a big glass of wine on the table. Like, congratulations, you've had a baby. Here's this huge glass of Chardonnay. I was like, great. Who cares about pumping and dumping? Well, I mean, I'm sure I did, but like there was no pump and dump, this idea of like, you know, drinking and then pumping out your breast milk so you're not poisoning your child and dumping it out. Um, I didn't do that a lot with my first, but with my, with my second, I remember doing it constantly that this was just a thing that I was always worried about how much I was drinking. I, um, that's when I knew I had a problem. This is when I was 35. So I'm 44 and there, it was a nine year journey really to like, I feel so angry that my son, my son, I don't, nobody knows how neurodeficiencies happen. Uh, I didn't drink when I was pregnant with him, but like he often, he has like some slight like learning disabilities. And I'm like, is it because I drank when I was breastfeeding him and that this guilt is always going to stay with me? And you know, I don't know if that's what it was or not, but, um, so nine years later, I'm still, I still have this guilt. I became like really dependent for the, for five or six years on, um, trying, you know, I was trying to work, trying to raise a family trying to be a good wife, household duties, good friend. And just constantly, the, 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 more, the, the more the days went on, the more I drank. And it was so normalized, you know, bringing your mommy juice to the farmer's market in a sippy cup. Ha 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 ha. Like this was the big thing here. It's like, who knows what's in your, your travel mug in your stroller when you go to the farmer's market. And I, I, I now can look back and say that was a joke, 
but many people like me who can't who who don't understand that and are looking for reasons to normalize drinking are bringing wine to the farmers market but how many people in my group were actually doing that probably just me <laughs> right yeah um, interesting isn't it because i think don't you find sarah kate that when you when you stop drinking and you you're you come back to your senses and you start looking around at people you know that's when it hits you that maybe not everybody does drink as much as i do <laughs> Uh-huh. Because we all, we convince ourselves, don't we, that everybody drinks, but in everybody fact, they drinks don't as much. Not- yeah, and yeah. you're looking yeah. for you're looking for like um, I my friend Jen, I haven't talked to her about this specifically, but um, she's never going to hear this, so <laughs> she's I actually have lots of friends, Jen, so who knows? Nobody will know who it is. Um, <laughs> she um, she and I have you know would would often go out and and have drinks and stuff, and I would be looking to her to validate how much I was drinking. Well, if Jen's having three or four, then I'm having three or four. And I, it was almost like we were doing it to each other as well. Like we knew that there was no judgment. And so it was safe around her to drink as much as I wanted and vice versa. She knew that it was, I don't think she's ever articulated this, but um, you know, we, we look for the people who will help validate this idea that everybody's drinking as much as we are. We Your did. brain searches for the data mm-hmm. because that's how you, Absolutely. yeah, right? Yeah. So you, I think to your point, it's a very good point. Not everybody around you is drinking as much as you are oftentimes. And a lot of the mommy wine culture, it is just a joke. But that's what the mm-hmm. danger is, is that a lot of people don't yeah. realize that it started yeah. out as a joke. And now it's jumped the shark. Yeah. And it's beyond. It's scary. How many women are getting sucked into so what, that? What what kind of age uh, were you when you started what really worrying about it and thinking I've got to do something about this. So funnily enough, I was cleaning out a desk uh, recently and I found a survey or not a survey, like a questionnaire I had downloaded. Are you an alcoholic? Um, I don't even remember doing like, I remember it, but I did. I, I, I had totally forgotten. And I didn't even remember doing that. I would say that was six years ago, maybe so four, f- probably five or six years ago. So I would say just before I hit 40, okay, I really okay. was like internally, oh my God, I have a problem. But there's so much yeah. shame, so much shame around admitting that things are out of control that I never, I did never look for the help that I needed because I was so ashamed of even talking to my husband about this. And he had given up. I think he had yeah. given up telling me not to drink too much because he knew that it just ended up in a fight. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that keeps so many people trapped, doesn't it? Because we're worried, we're ashamed that we can't fix this thing alone. And we're worried about what people will say because you do become the center of attention when you stop drinking. People say, oh, have you got a problem? <laughs> and it's, it's, we don't want that. That's the last thing we need when we're feeling fragile and kind of newly sober. Yeah. So we worry about yeah. that. Yeah. But I did read a, a survey the other day that I thought was so interesting because a bit like you, um, well, I tried to moderate for 10 years, you know, and got nowhere because I couldn't bear the thought of giving up completely. Yeah. So yeah. 
I was stuck in that for 10 years before I finally reached out. But apparently the average time it takes people to acknowledge that, yes, I've got a problem, and then to reach out and and get help is actually 11 and a half years. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. That's so, not surprising being through yeah. it, but also, like, it's scary how common that is then that, yeah. that if, yeah. you know, and this actually fires me up even more that, like, there are women who need to hear this now so that they don't wait 11 years. Yeah, I know. I know. Absolutely. Because a, a lot can go wrong in 11 years of heavy a drinking. Lot. A and lot. yeah, you know, your point about how uh, it's it's just a joke at the farmer's market with everyone got their sippy cups. and But it's what's sad is that people that haven't got alcohol in their cups they start to feel uncomfortable so they think oh you know well everyone else is drinking maybe I should drink too so that that's how it happens and that's how it just gets bigger and bigger and I think yeah the social you know you're getting social proof every day that it's not a joke like that oh yeah everybody's drinking and and from that then we create even more opportunities like I was talking yesterday with somebody about the first birthday circuit you know there was when everybody kids turned one when I was one, I think my mom had my grandparents over for a cake she made in the kitchen. Like now it's a booze fast when you have yeah, a first yeah. birthday. It's all. <laughs> so we've created more experiences. Yeah, yeah. To... And all the attentions on the moms and the drinking rather than the little babies. <laughs> That's right. It's like around. the baby doesn't care, you know. Just imagine <laughs> that baby looking back and seeing everybody slosh at their first birthday party. <laughs> this, the tone that that sets for life. Yeah. 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 No, it's it's madness. I mean, I'm a lot older than you and my son is 40 now. But I do remember back in those days, you know, there was some, we still had drinks at the uh, the toddler small kids parties. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. been around a long time. Yeah. But certainly when I was small, no, I mean, my parents, they, they would never do that. It wasn't normalized in those days. It's, it's yeah. relatively yeah. recent. So, um, you, you kind of knew for a number of years that you, you had a problem. Did you try to cut down? Did you have like the odd week without a drink or? Oh my gosh. It's even going back before kids. I remember saying to my husband, I mean, this is going back like 15 years now. Um, I, I went out to the grocery store and I bought a whole bunch of like root beers and cream sodas. Cause even then I understood the connection between having something in your hand and and the enjoyment of the experience. And at that time, I was um, I was still like early thirties, late twenties, so I was still like you know uh, not not where I was definitely when I was you know in the last ten years, I'd say, but um, probably having too much wine in the evenings, you know, we're young, we're in our twenties. We had just we, you know we had an apartment in a fun part of the city, and so you're sitting on your balcony having wine. That was, that's my first kind of memory of like, where I was like, okay, I I drink too much. I need to like have a placebo. I need to have something else to drink. And that didn't last very long. And then I didn't try again for many, many years. But then I'd say probably the last, before I really stopped, uh, well, actually, sorry, there's two phases there. I tried to moderate for years and years. Like I, the crazy thing about this story is that I'm a long distance runner. I've run five half marathons. Can you imagine how incredible my time would have been and my training would have been if I hadn't been. I would I would play this game with myself. Okay, I've got a I've got to run early Thursday morning, so I can't drink Wednesday night, but I can have drinks Tuesday night and I can have drinks Thursday night. 
And then, oh, I have a long run Sunday. So I've got to be careful about how much I'm drinking on Saturday night, but I'm going to get Friday night's going to be the night because I don't have to get up and run in the morning. And so I would play this game like um, for a long time of, you know, when can I drink? And, And I would feel disappointed. I would feel like angry that I couldn't drink on the nights when I had to run in the morning, forgetting that this was my choice. But I was running away from yeah. this an addiction. I was running to try and counteract, you know, feeling so crummy about about drinking. One, I can run twenty one kilometers. Look at me, I'm I'm so healthy. Yeah, but yeah. so it's yeah. it's quite common that we we've got a lot of runners in our community. And I remember crazy. one lady telling me that she. She would get up early if she'd if she drank a lot the night before. She wasn't as organized as you, but she'd ha- go out, have her drinks, and then wake up early. And she she would run, you know, do a long run with tears streaming down her face because she felt so ill and hung over. So it was almost like a punishment. Oh, but I was just going to say that it it becomes yeah. running becomes a punishment when you're doing that to yourself. But it also becomes a so it was a. Um, two, two things in that moment. It's like, there were often times where I would drink too much on a Tuesday and I didn't have to get up early to run Wednesday. And I was so ill that it was a punishment. But then also I would feel maybe I didn't have to get up early that morning, but if I drank heavily on a Friday night, that Saturday run, like I would purposely go out and run to extremes, to exhaustion until I was falling down to punish myself. So on the one hand, it was a a punishment because I was feeling a, a torture because I was hung over in a run, an early morning run, or I was purposely punishing myself. It you know after the fact yeah. by running to exhaustion to try and counteract you know the bad stuff I had done, and it yeah. it's so painful. It's so painful, and like um, my running didn't improve when I gave up drinking actually like that much. It's a long story, but it's like uh because I had manufactured other health problems that have impacted, um, you know, impacted uh, my running, but that's, that's where I would pretend to moderate, but then it became out of control. It was like, yeah, you can't be a a runner and a drinker. And my, you know, my running crew would always wonder why, like I'd say, oh guys, I, they were very like, they didn't know I was drinking that much, but they would be like, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Everybody has rough mornings. I'm like, yeah, but you guys never have rough mornings. (laughs) It's just me that seems to have the, the, the rough mornings. Um, where things started to slide downhill was I had left a job where my the person who ran the organization, who was my boss, uh, it was a nonprofit organization here. He was very, very sexist. And also he was like slightly harassing me. Like he would say things to me that were like, well, I'm just pulling your your pigtails, like the boy on the, pra- the playground that likes the girl. Um, and, but then he would call me out in meetings and make embarrass me and stuff. And so I had to leave that job and it, um, it, it ended really badly. And I started, I was at home. I was trying to start my own business, my own marketing agency. And there's nobody, you don't have a job to go to anymore. So, so things were sliding, sliding downhill really fast. That's where I was like, really hit that point where I'm like, I can't even write a business proposal without having like gin and tonics next to me. And uh, this is bad. I was always a wine drinker. I was never a, that heavy of a spirits drinker. Um, so a few things happened. One, I had this launch party for the the agency, like it was October. And uh, like, I must have ordered like 26, 30 bottles of wine. And I think I had like three of them myself. And then I drove home. Oof. Yeah. And I woke up in the morning and I was like, 
oh my God, oh my God, like I am such a loser. Like, how could you do that? Like, I had never driven drunk before, but something in my mind was just really miswired. That was the beginning of like, this has got to stop. And then I, I, then I had a, one of my few blackouts in my life was that Christmas. It was a friend's Christmas party, open bar. And like my husband found me passed out on the bathroom floor in the basement at like five in the morning. Like I, I had come home from the party and probably thrown up and um, he's like, what are you doing to yourself? Like, this is embarrassing now. Like how you're so, how, look how old you are and you're still doing this. Like you're, you're not in your twenties anymore. Um, and I just felt so mortified. And like, that was really where I was like, okay, that's, yeah. that was sort of the, I knew things were getting out of control. And then the, after the holidays, I was like, okay, <laughs> like, I can't do this anymore. I've got to stop. Yeah. And that was kind of the rock bottom. Okay. So what happened day after that you decided you, you didn't drink again? I mean, how did you do uh, it? So I, so that's when I downloaded that drinks tracker and I tried to count my drinks for a couple of months, uh, a month or two. I knew right away it wasn't working after four weeks. I'm like, this isn't working. I've gone over my limit like four times or every, every week. So every day. And so, so you, I, you still had a dream of moderating. Yeah. Even though I'd been trying it and it hadn't worked for years and years. So what happened though, is somebody mm. in this, on this app, there's like a community chat and somebody said, Sarah, you should read this naked mind. And I said, Oh, brilliant. What's that? It's, and so I looked it up, immediately looked it up, downloaded the ebook and started reading it. And I loved that book so much because it answered my question. There's nothing wrong with me that like, yeah. I kept thinking, you keep, you think to yourself, is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with me? And it depends what school of thought you're in. But what I loved about Annie Grace was that it's an addictive substance. It has the same impact. If you drink at that quantity, it'll have the same impact on everybody because it's addictive. And that was such a relief. It was a weight lifted off my shoulders. And I just felt so much joy. All of a sudden, I'm getting teary because I always like go back to that moment where I'm like, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. That yeah, I can, yeah, the science so, says, so true. The science yeah, says I can yeah, fix this, no. <laughs> and it was like, oh my god, it was like a home repair manual with all the answers. Yeah, I, need. I, I also love that book. I think she's changed so many lives writing that book. It, it's beautiful, and also you, you've highlighted, although it was just a, a drinking app and an odd bit of chat, the value of um, community because she'd sense that you know you were someone that was in a bit of trouble, and she said, "Read the Naked Mind," you know, and that that's all it took really. Once yeah. you you understood that, it, in fact, it's all about our limiting beliefs, and alcohol is addictive, and society is set up to normalize and promote alcohol. Once we can see through all that, we we can cope because our, our mindset changes, doesn't it? And I think it that's really the key does. to making a change. It really does. When you have the education, when you have the education and the information. And so uh, two points here. One is that we don't talk about this as women enough. We don't, we aren't given or people just in general, doesn't matter women, men, we should be learning the facts about alcohol. These facts when we're 14. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, sorry to interrupt, but 
Your your story at university, you know, it's so typical. We have the same in the UK, same in South Africa, that when you're a newbie at university, they have these events that make you you drink a lot. And it's madness, you know, and it's dangerous. People, a lot of young students die, you know, because of all this drinking, over-drinking and alcohol poisoning. But um, the fact is, when you go to university, they should be teaching you this stuff, yeah. don't you think? Yeah, even before university, I really believe that, that yeah. there should be a module in your first year of high yeah. school that is the science behind drinking, Yeah, uh, like somewhere, because that's what's missing is that you don't understand how it's actually affecting your decision making yeah. to have another drink. Yeah. It's not you, it's the alcohol saying you need another drink. And yeah. often so that was that was the thing that that blew my mind. That was just like, why don't we learn this? Yeah. Oh my God, why didn't I know this before, right? And so then Annie Grace had, um, she has this, and I don't know what the setup is now, I haven't looked at it lately, but she had at the time this 30-day alcohol experiment. And it was yeah, free. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I went and did the 30-day alcohol-free experiment, and I did the work. So April 6, 2020, I did the work. I wrote, I logged into the module every day and answered the questions and watched the video and, you know, put the work in and it was right at the beginning of COVID. And so I was so blessed, so blessed, because I could just hunker down in my house and be alone and miserable, not alone, my family was around me, but me be miserable without being in situations where I was tempted. So I was really the universe was really looking out for me. Like, I, a lot of bad stuff came out of COVID. But one of the best things that came out of it is that people who wanted to get sober, were able to use that opportunity to to they, there was no excuses. They couldn't leave their house. We're all in lockdown. Um, and it was exactly. easier. For, so they for didn't me. have to put up with people saying, why aren't you drinking? Yeah. You're boring, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. All that pressure is so, gone. Yeah. Yeah. So then between, this is where people, I often like, people are like, oh, but you really aren't sober. I'm like, well, so from April 30th until Christmas day, um, I had a few slip ups. But because Annie Grace had said in her book, like, if you get 97% on that test, you're still passing. Like, if you get 95% on the yeah. test, so I would do calculations, like, what percentage am I at? Am I at 85%? Am I getting, did I pass 87% this week? Um, and I didn't drink that much, but here and there, like, May was tough because I had a drink here and a drink there. It was still in the house, and I don't know why I was buying it. But then, you know, then I had, a, you know, once or twice, there was like a wedding anniversary. I went out for a dr- I went out for dinner with a friend of mine who is a serious alcoholic, and I shouldn't have because she she wasn't pressuring me, but I was like, I got to keep up with her. And, you know, stupid, stupid that I put myself in that situation at that moment. Um, but overall, I think like I did fairly well. I probably got ninety percent on the test between like you know the end of April and Christmas, and then uh, my my daughter saw how hard I was working. And uh, Christmas Day comes around, and here's the crazy thing: I it's so habitual. Holiday drinking is so habitual that I brought I bought a bottle of wine for our table. We couldn't we we were still isolating here in Ontario, and so we weren't with my family. Um, I had a bottle of wine for the table. My husband doesn't drink wine. Neither do my children. They're thirteen and nine. Like. Why did I bring that bottle into the house? Because it's so hardwired that Christmas dinner has to, you have to have a bottle of wine at the table. Um, it's for the family. Like who's drinking it? So I had one glass of, of wine and my daughter was so 
angry and disappointed in me because she knew how hard I was working. And she's like, mom, I'm so, why are you having that glass of wine? And she just lost it on me. She's like, you're, I'm so disappointed in you. You're trying so hard. What are you doing to yourself? And that was it. That was it. That was like, yeah. like she's watching that me. your last drink. That was my last, yeah. she, I'm like, she is watching me not keep commitments to myself. And I'm setting yeah. a tone for her that you can break commitments to yourself. And I'm like, that's it. I'm done. And I was done. Yeah. And yeah. so that was last Christmas. Oh, and um, good for you. Yeah. It's been yeah. so great because it just, it helped me lean into um, helping this community and trying to build the community yeah. and build that conversation um, because I had kind of gone through all the stages, <laughs> you know, rethinking yeah. drinking yeah. was what I call that phase there. And uh, yeah, you know, what you said, moderating. We try moderating for so long. And then one day I always like, say, oh. it, I always say, if you can moderate, you moderate. You don't join a sobriety group or, <laughs> or read a book. You don't need to. You just, it comes naturally. And if it doesn't yeah. come naturally, then you can't do it. Because when we say moderate, I think we mean control, don't we? We want yeah. to control yes. it. And once yes. you've crossed a line with your drinking, you can't control it because you're addicted. No. So you just yeah. have to leave the stuff and, and move on. That's right. And the idea of even like once you've labeled it as moderation means you've already lost control. People who yeah, are in absolutely. control don't ever think about moderating. Like you're to your point, mm -hmm. there's no label in their head. My husband just they knows think that he about more interesting things than, yeah. than how many glasses yeah. of wine they've had that yeah. week. <laughs> yes. So much time wasted. Like yeah. How much have I, uh, oh you know, spent, where am I going to, which liquor store is close, which wine store is closest to on my way home from work? Uh, is there going to be enough at home? And Should I buy an extra one? What about, will they, will they remember that I bought wine last night? What about that yes. one? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Actually, Better who was it now? One. <laughs> somebody, somebody on Instagram posted yesterday. It could have even been Annie Grace or something. Oh, no, it was uh, the ultimate mom challenge. She said that she had um, walked down the street and seen somebody she knew, but couldn't place her. But they had a, a she hugged her and said, Hello, I haven't seen you in so long. Oh, my goodness. How are you? Uh, like, I haven't seen you so long, had a wonderful chat and then, you know, waved goodbye and went on their way. And then she realized that it was the woman who from the, the wine store down the street like a regular <laughs> place where she picked up wine <laughs> and she's like i wonder where she if she's wondered where Your i've been friend. for 36 months yeah but yeah that is the where i've where i've gotten to and it's been just so joyful and you know the your logo tribe sober in the heart that's exact it's just you have you get so much love and joy it's so, such a perfect logo because it's like you know the connections to the community being together as a group um, and the love that you, the love and joy you feel with the group and with the community. And it's, it's just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It always amazes me that how, you know, you put a bunch of strangers together, but because we've got this issue, we all connect instantly and we all understand each other and we understand why we can't just have one glass of wine like our, yeah. our poor husbands <laughs> has probably been telling us for 20 years. We That's just, right. 
Yeah, yeah. That's right. We understand why we can't have one. You know, I loved something that you said earlier. I just wanted to emphasize it, that you'll think about percentage, you know, when you pass an exam, even if you only get, well, it's usually about 70% max, isn't it? You you still pass because a lot of people, they, they slip up, you know, and they think, oh, I'm hopeless. I can't do this. And they give up, you know, but but we've had quite a few examples recently that people that have struggled and struggled, but they've kept going, kept going, and kept notching up longer and longer sober stretches. So if you looked at their alcohol-free days over a year, then they would get a decent percentage. And that's what matters. And if you increase that percentage every year, then you'll get there. So not everybody goes at the same rate. So I think we all have to understand that we're all a bit different. Yeah. And I think also, this is a, a huge hurdle, I think, is that we all, we the world needs to acknowledge that it takes a long time to with to pull yourself out of the clutches of alcohol. Like it, yeah. it's, everybody's journey is going to be different. Yeah. But that, you know, quitting cold turkey works for some people. Um, not a lot. I haven't seen it be success, like in that sense of like, I'm quitting cold turkey and never drinking again. I don't know what the percentage is, but I think we, you know, as a world, we need to acknowledge as a sober community, as an alcohol-free community, we need to acknowledge that, um, you know, somebody said to me the other day, I had a business call, not related to alcohol at all. And the woman happened to find out in the call somehow that I have some good And she said, I really love your site. That's so great. And then like about half an hour into the meeting, she leaned in. She's like, I think I need to stop drinking. And I was like, oh, oh my goodness. She's like, I've had a couple of false starts. Or my, my girlfriend has been alcohol free for a year, sober for a year. I've had a few false starts and I'm like, change your language. Change that language right now because false is a negative word. You, you say you've, had a, you've tried a few times and you're going to continue mm-hmm. putting in the effort. It's not a false start. That's your goal. And I said that to her on the call. And I said, listen, I'm not a sober coach. But what I do know is that it may take you another 10, uh, you know, 10 stretches or whatever, but you will get there if that's what your heart really wants, but you've got to put in that effort and and remember, you're not a failure. And remember, it's not false starts, like change that language. Yeah, yeah. Is so important, yeah. Because what she's done is she's notched up some sober stretches, as we call it, and yeah. she needs more. And gradually, yeah. all the sober stretches join up, and it becomes permanent. That's yeah. right. And then one day you wake up and realize that you haven't really craved a drink for a really, really long time, and it's it's such a beautiful feeling. Yeah. Um, I, well, I wonder. Freedom. Yeah. It is actually, I'm wearing a t-shirt from, I don't know if you've ever spoken to, you got to talk to this lady. She is really cool. So um, it's peace, love, sober. And then it says authentic freedom at the bottom. All right. Nice. Um, yeah. Her handle on Instagram is mocktail.mom. Okay. Find her. And she's fantastic. She's such a joy. Um, you know, I would say follow her on Instagram because she just is, she brings the the joy and the authentic freedom to making mocktails. It's so great. And, um, so, but I love that this, it is authentic freedom when you wake up and you're like, oh, wow, I really haven't had a craving for a drink in six months, like three months or whatever that time is. You're like, yeah. You know, it's, it's wonderful. I I'm in the industry. I'm in the, I'm in the community every day because of some good clean and on Instagram and things like that. So I have to wonder 
you know, what would I, you know, if I wasn't so involved in the sober community, like, you know, I, I would still be the same. I would still be doing things outside of uh, sober, like, out, you know, going about my daily life, but um, the feeling would still be there. No, just irregardless of the fact that I'm in the sober community every day, um, that I would be going about my day and have that moment of authentic freedom. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at Janet at TribeSober.com. That's Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at TribeSober.com, and we'll send you an invitation. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you mentioned good, clean, fun a few times. I love it too. I've been having a look at it. It's beautiful. Thank you. Talk to us about it. Why did you start it and what are, what are the goals for that publication? So as we, as I mentioned earlier, one of the things that's really bothered me about all of this is just the education piece for women in general of like not really understanding what's what, what alcohol does to your body, but also not uh, seeing we are not we're not taught to be critical of alcohol, where it shows up in our lives, the marketing messages. So similar to what Andy Grace was saying in, in this naked mind. So I thought it would be interesting to start a platform that appeals not just to the sober community and people in recovery, people who are living alcohol free, but for all women to challenge women on the, the thing, like, does alcohol make you sleep better? Like, let's talk to a doctor about it. Let's talk to a naturopath about how to heal your gut after you've, you know, had a binge and want to take a take a break like what do you what are some things you can take to repair yourself like so creating a platform about holistic wellness and balance with the foundation of like alcohol free living is a rebellious choice that all women should should make and um maybe not completely alcohol free for me that was what works but even you know being a mind mindful drinking it's not going to hurt any one woman to cut back by one glass of you know have one less glass of wine start small um, start reading about the health impacts. And, um, so it's, 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 that was important for me that we rethink drinking from personal level, but also from a societal level and break down some of these myths, um, and talk about that highlight where things are being, um, where obviously that, uh, you know, ads are targeting women or things, events are targeting women and, and connected to alcohol. Um, so, a, a platform that's that is accessible and inclusive for everyone, regardless of where you are in your journey. And you know, there's always going to be people who are never going to read this platform because they're just they don't need it. But I know there's a lot of women out there right now who are struggling. Yeah, I do like the way you're coming at it from a, a kind of wellness um, angle because uh, to to address people's problems so that you can give them a host of information, including, you know, did you realize what alcohol does to your guts? You know, it just gets people thinking. Because I think many of us, I mean, I've always done yoga and exercised and it's organic, gluten-free, but I've always had my bottle of wine and it would never <laughs> yes. have occurred to me to, yeah. to do that until I finally got my act together. But uh, it's amazing. And also with weight, you know, I was trying to lose weight for decades, but always drinking. 
and a, f a few months into sobriety and suddenly you know the weight fell off and and now I can eat what I like so there's so many things you know that we don't we don't connect the dots it's like the elephant in the room isn't it and it I, I know people that have I know people that are in therapy for years about their anxiety and then they they stop drinking and they realize you know they're not anxious anymore and they don't need to be in therapy anymore yeah so it's it's just linked to so many negative side effects it is and I was going to say too the the thing about the bottle of wine like absolutely I always have wine on the table at dinner you know instinctively that it's not healthy like oh having drinks like there is a narrative that in society you know that having drinks is not necessarily the most healthy thing but you don't know why you don't know why like you don't we don't talk about this openly about like that one glass of wine here you know here's what it's doing to your body in I've had so many arguments with my running the women that I run with who still one of them is not a heavy drinker at all she has one glass of wine every Friday night or something like that right once in a while on a weekend she'll have a glass and I'm like what's the point what is the point of that that glass is affecting your GABA affecting your glutathione affecting the way you can sleep and she's like well I don't feel any effects from it then I'm like then what's the point if you come out net <laughs> even at the end why are you harming your body when you're you're still harming your body you just can't see it yeah. And I think that's yeah. what the what it is, is the wine. We know that it's not great. You're eating a gluten-free meal, dairy-free, gluten-free, vegan. <laughs> you've had your water. You've drunk your eight liters of water or whatever a day. And you know that you really shouldn't have that glass of wine. But that's where the disconnect is. You don't actually understand why. And so this is what I'm trying to break down is, is uh, yeah. what does that gla one glass of wine? Let's talk to a, na a nutritionist or a nat naturopath about this. Um, one of the other things too, which is, this is a whole other topic, but just as a point, a bullet is that um, our society globally has not embraced our uh, hospitality industry globally has not embraced inclusive hospitality. So going out to a restaurant, a bar, it's a lot easier for you to stay balanced in your life when you have balanced options. And we've broken down barriers of inclusivity and at, and all the other ways in so many other ways. I mean, we're not a perfect world, but we've opened up the conversations about accessibility, diversity, inclusivity everywhere. And they're being applied in the hospitality industry as well. And it's like, why not this? This is also an inclusivity yeah. issue. Having a boozy workplace culture, going for drinks after work, that's an inclusivity issue. You're not including people who don't drink for any reason, pregnancy, religious reasons, health reasons. So there's all these different things that areas that we can investigate. But at least the alcohol-free drinks industry does seem to be uh, growing. Certainly here in South Africa, we've got uh, yes. more than 100 choices. We've got an online Ooh. store. called It's called Drink Nil Koza, and they'll, they'll uh, deliver to your door anywhere in the country and they're, they're really doing well so and when you go to a restaurant here you, you can always get an alcohol-free beer and I actually prefer that to the alcohol-free wine but yeah, you don't see the alcohol-free wine so but you can get that to drink at home so how is it over there have you got a lot of alcohol-free choices so the this is really like the best like the most fun part of what I'm doing for me is that like it, it is it has exploded here so um we're about five years behind the uk i would say and maybe two years three years behind the us we're catching up now but um when i started down this road last april it was the grocery store and that was it 
since last spring, so 2020, seven, eight online stores have launched in Canada. And there is also, you know, I wouldn't say there's probably close to 100 products available. Um, I'm just thinking now. Yeah, probably about 100 products. Maybe it's growing. There's a lot more in the U.S. There's probably triple, quadruple that in the U.S. Um, some U.S. brands are are coming into Canada, which is really great. But what that has done is it has opened up the conversation even further into like, this isn't your dusty grocery store alcohol-free beer. You know, this is good quality craft yeah. beer, good yeah. quality um, for me, it's alcohol-free sparkling wine, which is excellent now. Like there's the the flat wine still needs some work, but mm. um, for me, the like it's called Odd Bird is the brand. It's from Sweden, and it is just hitting it out of the park. Their Spumante is you wouldn't believe there wasn't alcohol in it. Sometimes it's hard to believe. I'm like, am I sure this doesn't have alcohol in it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's true what you say about the bubbly. um, And I was talking to a winemaker about that, that understands the process of, you know, making alcohol-free and alcoholic wine. And he was explaining that there's something about the bubbles, you know, gives it more body because that's the thing about alcohol-free wine. It's kind of flat and missing, missing in, uh, I think they call it mouthfeel or something. But with bubbles, it's it's much easier. So, yes, we also have lovely bubbly but the the flat wine they keep they need to keep working on that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I would say it's it'll come, it'll come because uh they're really pushing the um, the, the alcohol-free winemakers are actually really trying to push the envelope on this. And so what I realized is it's definitely a shift in consumer thinking that a winery may not be the one making the best alcohol-free wine and that it's going to be producers who started as alcohol free that are going to innovate and it's not going to be the wineries that are that are innovating. Um interesting. They don't yeah. right? Like I don't because they don't have the the vested interest whereas the alcohol free manufacturers are the ones who are going to be innovating because they have the vested interest. And so I think it's going to be a consumer shift that you get good wine from a winery and you get great alcohol free wine from from an, a non-alcoholic brand. Um same with craft beer. Yeah. And some Sometimes I think we shouldn't really be looking for something that is going to be like wine, you know, because some people call it fake wine, don't they? And I say to people that maybe you should think of soft drinks like Coke and whatever in one category, alcohol in another category, and then alcohol-free in another category because there's so many other lovely things yeah. to drink. You know, it doesn't have to be fake wines. So, and we see it's growing all the time. I mean, I stopped drinking six years ago. And there was nothing, absolutely nothing. And it it made me feel even more sorry for myself, you know, yeah. when I went out. There was yeah. nothing to drink. Oh, yeah. But now I think it is easier for people. So I was going to ask, actually. Um, so on my website, somegoodcleanfun.com, right now it's just I only have this for Canada, but I have a list of where to buy alcohol free in Canada. And so it's it lists all the marketplaces. I'm building one out for the US and I'd love to build one for South Africa too. So if there's, um, you know, if you could send me, uh, I, I, you know, if anybody out there listening, you can send it to hello at somegoodcleanfun.com if you want me to list your marketplace or, um, you know, you could send it to me directly. What we really need, uh, Sarah Kate, is is a kind of societal shift, don't we? And I, and I feel, although you know, maybe because we're so deep in this now, maybe we're we're fooling ourselves. But I do feel as if there is a, a little bit of a societal shift towards alcohol free 
living going on. I mean, just the the fact that there's so many sobriety groups and so many alcohol-free drinks. I think there is some hope. What do you think? I think that we're turning the corner on this. I definitely feel like the pandemic exacerbated a lot of inequalities um, and that women, women in particular, bore the brunt of the the pandemic. And through that, um, you know, there was a lot of stress and stress drinking. And I think that women are coming out of the pandemic and saying, I don't, I'm not happy with how much I, you know, I drank. Um, I, I'm, you know, I'm going to re, I want to reevaluate my health. It also gave us time as a, as a society as globally to, um, to take a step back. We had more time to think more time to reflect more time to, um, you know, dive inwards a little bit more that always that wasn't always a great thing for everyone but i i think that that has actually quickened um the alcohol free marketplace the movement sober curious movement the mindful drinking movement i think that we're turn slowly turning a corner and i i'm not sure if this is politically correct to say but like people are finally getting woke to big alcohol advertising yeah yeah yeah, because we we've been so manipulated, haven't we, for decades? Yeah. You know, we've yeah. we've been brainwashed into believing that alcohol is, is something that we need to to have a full and happy life, basically. <laughs> yes. And women, yeah, sorry, especially. I, I mean, you mentioned it earlier. We've we've been so targeted, haven't we, by the wine industry that you know the mommy juice and we need wine and all the memes that you see on, on Facebook. I mean, it's it's crazy, but uh, I think it, it's gradually shifting. What we need we need wine and alcohol to have a cigarette moment, don't we? <laughs> yes, and I I have a um, it's on my computer, but. Uh, I have this ad from the 1950s and it's a woman who's pregnant and it's the, the nicotine ad or the tobacco ad says, you know, this is the best choice for the two of you. Like (laughs) Winston's the best choice for the two of you. Gosh. And I just about fell off. I thought this is exactly, I mean, we all know, we know you're not supposed to drink during pregnancy and people don't. So you wouldn't see that now, but I think it's, it's the same cringe factor as like, yeah. mimosas a mimosa bar like having yeah. an endless like bottomless mimosa bar is cringy rosé all day of, that's another one ugh, i always i'm making a t-shirt <laughs> you have that. i'm gonna start selling it it's gonna say rosé no way or no way rosé no way rosé <laughs> instead of no way Jose, yeah no way rosé <laughs> yeah yeah well the, the more that we can can do for our individual part to, to shift it it's going to be great uh, imagine Sarah Kate, something someone's listening to this and they're they're deep in where we were years ago and they're thinking, Oh, you know, I'd like to give up drinking like these two, but where do I start? You know, because people feel overwhelmed. Well, we did, didn't we? It feels yeah. impossible. Because I knew for a decade that I, I've got to stop drinking, but I had no idea how to do it, how to make that first step. For me it was finding a community, but what and what would you advise people to try? So I think that you, you're you onto something there with the first step is finding a community. I, when you said earlier, like inter, how interesting that that chat in the app was the one that said, you know, I just, I hadn't thought about it like that, but it's true. That was sort of the first community that I connected with. Um, and 
I dis I not just discarded it because I, I didn't renew the app. So I kind of did disconnect from that community. But I think that if I was to go back in time, I knowing what I know now, I would definitely immediately try and find another community to have that conversation with to feel like you're not alone. Because this is the thing. When you're a mom, uh, a woman, a woman doesn't have to be a mom when you're a woman in this society, because we don't talk about drinking, you don't think you think everybody else has their lives together. And nobody else has the same problems as you. And then you find out that there's thousands of other moms out there who are struggling with exactly the same problems have the same behavior you do, you know, did the same made the same choices We're feeling sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. It's it is, it is really special to to connect yeah, such a relief, isn't it? It's a relief. <laughs> yeah. Then the second, yeah, yeah. So look, find the community. The second thing is, you know, read the Quitlet. It doesn't reading Quitlet doesn't always. I, I know people who have read this Naked Mind three times, and they're still like, I don't know, like I, they're not integrating it. Here's how I integrated belief and practice. Um, I wrote every morning. So a lot of people will sit down and write a gratitude journal in the morning. I I shifted that. Uh, I changed that up a little bit. So. It was really hard for me at the beginning to write, I am thankful for my cup of coffee, because that was all I was grateful for at the moment, like, because I was so miserable. I was like, I am, I am grateful for my children, grateful for my coffee. That's all I could say. So I decided to write my gratitude list as if things had already happened, my goals had already happened. So I wrote out, I am so happy and grateful now that I don't need alcohol in my life. I'm so happy and grateful that alcohol doesn't control my, my decision making. I am so happy and grateful now that I have a loving relationship with my children. I'm and I and I I did at the time and I still do, but it's even better now. Um, I'm so happy and grateful that I'm I, I'm grateful that I am rich in friendships, and um, I am so happy and grateful now that I own my own successful business. And so I would I started writing my goals as if they had already happened, and that set the tone for the day because then at two thirty when I was like angry, because I couldn't have a glass of wine, like, oh, because I'm trying to get sober, I remembered what I wrote in the morning, and that I am so happy and grateful now that alcohol doesn't control me, and that I don't need alcohol in my life. And it ties it that belief back to your action. And it helped that really, really, yeah. really, really helped me it won't, I, I'm not sure if that will help everybody. But I needed to integrate belief in action. Yeah. I think that's brilliant because you're almost setting the intention, aren't you? There, because we have uh, we have these annual trackers, you know, and it's just like a big calendar, and people color in every alcohol-free day, you know, so they can see the big picture, so they can see what their mm -hmm. percentage is. Mm -hmm. And um, we've got people. It was just one of our community. She suggested it, and she said every morning when I wake up. I color in my day as an alcohol-free day. And then she doesn't want to mess up her pretty calendar, so she does it. Now everybody started doing that, and it That's really works so well. That's so great. Yeah. That's beautiful because that is integrating belief and action. Yeah, yeah. That's, That's so exactly great. what you did. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember actually I did see on, I think, your Insta, this, the Tribes Over Instagram, you've posted some pictures of these calendars. Oh, Is that right? probably yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I see them. I thought that's they so seem fantastic. To work somebody, really well. Yeah, somebody colored green, orange, yeah. half, like things on it. I thought that's pretty neat. I. Okay, well, I want to ask you what, a last question. Um, how is your long-suffering husband, and is he as happy as mine is? <laughs> uh, I think our, definitely he is seeing the benefits. I don't think he believed that this was going to happen. 
Um, now he's getting a little bit irritated because I'm always talking about alcohol free and, and my kitchen is constantly being pulled apart by me making <laughs> like yesterday I made Earl Grey syrup. And so he's happy. He's he's happy. He yeah. has actually reduced his drinking by 60%. And he's really great because he takes the beer right back to his shed. I don't care if it's in the house, but you know, just out of respect, he brings it right back to where his, his he has like an outdoor yeah. like man man shed. Where he smokes cigars, and a man cave, <laughs> a man cave. <laughs> so he's 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 enjoying the the less the tent. The, the, you know, there's not as much of a tense environment in the household, and I you know I can see that he's yeah. changing his habits too. So I, yeah, thank you for asking that question. I'll have to tell him. Thank you, Sarah Kate. That was such a great conversation. Let's try and pick out some highlights. As a career girl in her 20s, Sarah Kate began to realise that she had no off switch. This happens to so many of us, and I think it's a real warning sign. We can go for days without even thinking about alcohol, but once we've had a couple of drinks, we just want to keep going. And we agreed that we seek out friends who drink just like us so that we can validate our own drinking. At her 30th birthday party, Sarah Kate passed out on the bathroom floor and she began to feel ashamed of her drinking problem. So we talked about the shame that many people feel about their drinking, particularly women. And we agreed that so many of us get trapped because of that shame. We don't want to come out about our problem. So we battle alone and we get nowhere. We just get more and more dependent and more and more depressed. Have a listen to Claire Pooley's fabulous TED Talk called Making Sober Less Shameful. I'll put the link in the show notes. As Sarah Kate went on to become a mom, she got more and more dependent. And after the birth of her second child, she became seriously worried that her baby would be affected by the alcohol levels in her breast milk. She was part of the mommy juice culture and believed the hype that moms need wine taking a sippy cup of wine to the farmer's market, just like everybody else. We talked about how crazy kids' parties have become and how even at one-year-old parties, the wine is flowing. Like so many of us, Sarah Kate tried to moderate many times. She's a runner and she would schedule her drinking around her running. She feels that she was almost running to counteract her addiction almost as a punishment. She finally managed to make a change when she picked up a copy of The Naked Mind. She realised that drinking heavily for a number of years will make anyone become dependent. It wasn't just her. Alcohol is an addictive drug and that's what it's designed to do. So when Sarah Kate realised that there was nothing wrong with her, she was able to ditch the shame and make a change. She did Annie's alcohol experiment, and while she was not 100% alcohol-free, she probably reached a very respectable pass grade of 90%. We talked about the value of seeing the big picture, the value of having perspective. And that's why Tribe Sober offers annual trackers, so that people can observe their sober stretches getting longer and longer. Much less danger of giving up if you have a slip-up. If you'd like an annual tracker, then just email me at janice at tribesober.com. On Christmas Day, Sarah Kate found herself buying a bottle of red wine. 
even though her husband doesn't drink wine and her kids certainly don't. It made her reflect on the power of conditioning. If it's a holiday, we must drink. What an amazingly effective job big alcohol has done. In fact, Sarah Kate's daughter was furious with her for having a glass of wine at Christmas lunch. So that was it for Sarah Kate. She wanted to be a role model for her kids. She wanted to be someone who could stick to her commitment. We talked about the importance of education and how every university should offer a module called The Science Behind Drinking Alcohol, rather than irresponsibly forcing dangerous quantities of alcohol onto brand new students who are away from home for the first time. Sarah Kate emphasized that we should remember that it often takes a long time to pull ourselves out of the clutches of alcohol and that we have to be patient, especially if we've been drinking for decades. She's actually playing a role in educating us herself. She's launched an online magazine called somegoodcleanfun.com. She's coming at it from the wellness angle. And she's created a fabulous platform which will encourage us to rethink our drinking as individuals and as a society. It's not so much a sobriety magazine, but more a platform aimed at women who care about their health. They probably eat organic, gluten-free, exercise, yet they still drink a bottle of wine a day. She wants to educate them. She wants them to appreciate the impact that alcohol will have on their health. We agreed that the explosion of the alcohol-free drinks market was a really positive sign of a societal shift. We also agreed that step one in making a change in your drinking was to find a community. If you're worried about your drinking, then you need to find your people. If you think we might be your people, then just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. So at Tribe Sober, we've had an exciting and busy week. We've been moving our community from WhatsApp to Slack. With 350 members, we're getting just a bit too big for WhatsApp, and we need something more sophisticated. That's where Slack comes in. So as usual, I'm just opening my phone and going to read the first member Slack message that inspires me. Here's a valuable tip from member Nick. On Slack, you can use your own private channel as a diary or a blog. I've written up my key aha moments, what I've achieved and my experiences, etc. in my personal channel. And I love going back and reminding myself of all the things I've learned. Sometimes we forget just how amazing it is to be alcohol free. Well, I'm with you there, Nick. What a great tip. Thank you. So if you'd like to join the conversation on Slack and make a start on this life-changing journey, then just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. So that's it from me. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow us and share the podcast and I'll be back next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard. It takes courage and grit and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. 
It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.